I want you to turn in your Bible tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You might need a worksheet. If you do, you can lift your hand. We'll get you one. We're going to do the third in the series of messages on David, the life of David, the man after God's heart, the making of the man of God. Chapter 17 will be in verses 55 through 58 and then the first nine verses of chapter 18. May I ask you a question? When was the last time you thanked God for not showing you the future? I was thinking recently about the changes that have occurred in the last five years and, and to have uh, had a little forecast of those changes would frighten me to death five years ago. It's probably the most gracious act of God is that He doesn't let us know what the future is or will be. Because God doesn't change, but we change and everything around us changes. Places change. The average American moves once every three years. My older daughter, my oldest child, from the time of her birth till she graduated from high school, lived in 10 different places. She moved once every, every two years. Jobs change. Probably many of you are not doing the same thing tonight that you did five years ago. People change. Those people that you didn't know five years ago may be today your best friends. And those who were your best friends five years ago are gone and you hardly ever see. Homes change. Some of you said goodbye to your last uh, child and the nest is empty. And uh, some weep tonight because they don't know where their children are. Some weep because they do know where their children are. And some of you have lost your parents in this last year's. And five years ago, some marriages were as solid as a rock, and now they're broken and changed. Health changes. Some of us have experienced degeneration of health, some gradual, some sudden changes in health. And there are these tests that God has brought us through. Aren't you glad that God didn't give your life to live on the credit? So he said to you, so that he said to you one night, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you live for a week in 1992, you know, and give you a little bit on the credit. We don't have to know what the future holds, and it would probably frighten us if we did. Habakkuk came to God one time, and he said, I'd like for you to tell me what the future holds. And God said, no, I can't do that. If I, tell, if I told you what is out there tomorrow, you wouldn't believe it. And Habakkuk the prophet said, yes, a man of God in these times needs to understand the future. I want you to tell me what the future holds. So God told him what the future held, and he didn't believe it. 
most gracious things that God did in the life of David was that he allowed him to live a day at a time. He didn't rush him into the future. I alluded this morning to, a, to, a, to something I'm uh, dealing with myself as to why God shut Jesus up in Nazareth for 30 years. When people were dying and going to hell and, and no miracles were being formed, God shut Jesus up in Nazareth for 30 years. All he did was go to work and go to the synagogue. Why did he do that? Well, he was preparing him for one great event and he wasn't rushing him into the future. And so he took Moses out to the backside of the desert and he left him there for 40 years because God was shaping him and getting him ready for one great event in his life. And that is true in the case of David. Now, I imagine that it would be normal for us to think, having heard the story from childhood of the uh, of David uh, killing the giant Goliath, that we, you know, you automatically think that, right, you know, as soon as he killed that giant, God made him king, you know, and crowned him for that great event, but he didn't. As a matter of fact, there was this long period of time between the slaying of the giant and the time that David was made king over all the land and during that time, God was getting him ready for the event. And he led him into some of the lowest periods in David's life. There, was a period, there were periods of elation and depression, and God was shaping him for that event. And so I want you to look with me at verse 55 and beginning there to see some, um, some very practical things. Now, David has just slain the giant. It's been a, and it's an incredible thing. This guy was nine feet, nine inches tall, and, and David accomplished that in the power of God. And there is instant popularity. Instant popularity. And verses 55 through 58 are kind of a flashback. You've seen that in movies or on television, haven't you, where you know the story the story is unfolding and, and then it flashes back to something that's in the past. Now we know that David has killed the giant. We've already seen that. But verses 55 through 58 are a kind of a flashback and are describing something that happened in this tent while David was slaying that giant, an event we've already read about and studied about. So look at this kind of a flashback. It's, it describes a conversation that went on there that ties David to King Saul. And so it says, now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I do not know. And the king said, you inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. That must have been a gory sight, you know. <laughs> Step up before the king with a giant's hand, head in your hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, remember that Saul is not asking who David is. He's asking who, whose father David's father is. Who is your father? Whose son are you? Now, why did he do that? Well, look at verse 2 of chapter 18. 
And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. He's about to make David his bodyguard. I mean, you got a guy that can kill a nine foot nine inch giant with a, with a rock, you're gonna make him your bodyguard. I mean, you want him right beside you all the time. And he's gotta get his father's permission. And so that he's gonna make David his permanent resident and his right hand man, his bodyguard. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up, man, who kills him with great riches, and will give him his to keep his promise. Who's your father? Because he wanted to make the, you know, has this daughter that, that's no real prize. Here, unload his daughter. And he's gonna sign the check and make this boy his father. And so, who's your father? David tells him, my father's name is Jesse. Carlisle said, affliction is bad who can handle adversity. And we need to learn a lesson from David. I, I never will forget reading um, this article about Mark Spitz when he, uh, I, I, I never would have dreamed of the pressure of that. He said the pressuring it. Elvis Presley never was able to handle success. Was never able to handle that success. And unthrust into the limelight a Popular, popular, successful shaping of God. And so God brings about the experience of, you'll see there on your, note, on your note sheet. The first is found, and Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son, and did not let him return to his father's house. So David, now remember that this is a young man who has been anointed king, champion of champions, who has just done this incredible feat, king that has ever lived. And there's some things that have to... He went out wherever Saul sent him. And here he is submitting, doing everything that Saul tells him to do. Learning how to be submissive. And if those kids, if there are 10 of them, if those 10 kids out of 10, those kids will be a failure. The first thing under a superior, you need to submit to the authority of that amazing thing that when Paul is writing to, to these slave slavery, if you're playing on a football team and your coach has the disciplines of that team and restrictions, you prosper so that Four times when a person is willing to live a life of submission, God will... The second thing that God brought into his life was intimate effect, self. Their souls were knit. Now it is, a, it is obvious that some people have associated this with perverted, uh, perverted love because he loved him as himself. Now the second thing that God does in the life of... You may have a few acquaintances, but not very many intimate friends. If you have friend, he can share with. Now I want to give you tonight, it's not in your note, I want to give you voluntary willingness to sacrifice. Verse 4 of chapter in a home. And Jonathan's soul is knit with, with David, and who is, is willing, there is this voluntary willingness to then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do it possible to impose on a friend. They're not going to keep score four and five. 
Then Jonathan spoke well of David to hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. He won't talk about you when you're not there. He'll never speak with a friend. You've got a friend? Do you defend that friend when a jealous? This is bottom line theology. A friend is a purred characteristic of an intimate friend. Is found in chapter 20 and bowed three times. Now he's not, he's not worshiping there. Weave, that's the idea. They agonize. And David is so each other's arms and they're weeping on each other's shoulders. Third character, stand when you hurt. And he's going to let you usually say, the Lord led me to tell you, you know, that kind of thing. But a J, verses 15 and 16. Now David became the fourth characteristic of an intimate friend. He challenges you. He, he stretches you. God brought into the life of, of David to prepare him for... And Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people, and also with joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang as he prepares him and molds him, is success, is exaltation. God shapes and molds in these periods of, of joy, for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David relationship that God brings into life, to shape and mold. King killer here. And David really didn't do anything except are the people who have faced and overcome opposition. Well, I've noticed that among teenagers. Here's a, here's a, here's a guy who is, he's not done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, he's done everything right, and that's why he's envied. If somebody says to him, you know, I believe Mr. X is the greatest surgeon in town. Overtly or covertly, and where the room at the top is, is limited. And so he's challenged his, his. Lies sometimes, as a matter of fact. Let me give you three relevant things and we'll go home. First, not knowing the future forces us to live a day at a time. Not knowing the future forces us to live a day at a time. Now, I don't know what's out tomorrow, but I do have today. And I know that God has given me this day to live. And I'm a steward of the time of it, that God has given me in this day. And God has, is forcing me to live this day, not tomorrow. Second, Having a friend helps us face what comes our way. Having a friend. You can't make it alone. I cherish my friends. When I pray, this is a true story, I seldom ever pray, but what I don't go back in my mind and think of the friends that I've known over the years. Most of them are guys in the churches that I've pastored that have allowed me to be who I am and have encouraged me, have let me bleed on them and cry on them. And, and you can't make it in life very far without a friend. Friends help us face what comes. And sometimes that friend might be your spouse. 
It's a wonderful thing if that's true. Third relevant issue, and this is it. Being patient and wise is the best reaction to an enemy. Being patient and wise is the best reaction to an enemy. I am, I've, I am absolutely amazed as I have de- tried to develop this series on the life of David at how mature this young man is. Just a kid. And yet, and, and he's confronting this enemy who is the presiding king and how he handled that, that conflict with him. Tremendous maturity of patience and, and, and wisdom in, in reacting to his enemy. Now, it's not possible tonight to go through life without encountering an enemy. I know it is absolutely impossible not to have enemies, but it is possible to react to them in a patient and wise way. Now, when you've done that, God is preparing you for something great. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example and the instruction in the life of David. Example and instruction that teaches us. And I pray that you'll help us to understand with wisdom what you would teach us tonight. For Jesus' sake, I pray. We don't want to go away tonight without an opportunity for decision. An opportunity for you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You may be conscious that God has been bringing about events that have been pointing to this decision in your life. And the greatest friend you'll ever have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometime when you're all alone and there's nobody there that really cares about you and you can just, you just know He's there and He cares. And you can talk to Him. You can tell Him everything that bothers you. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? The second invitation is an invitation for us to, 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 to join the church. Maybe as a college student or someone who has moved into our community, you'd feel God leading you to join the church. You can come tonight and just tell Lee you want to join the church. He'll explain to you how we write for your membership. Or there might be someone who needs to come tonight to say, I need to walk closer to the Lord. I want to come to rededicate my life to Him. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.